Hey, my name is Michael Mowry. I'm the pastor of the Chi Alpha Christian Fellowship, and I know a lot of people have welcomed you to Chi Alpha tonight already, but I want to say, hey, welcome. I'm really glad you're here. Uh, I really love Chi Alpha. I've been hanging out with Chi Alpha uh, for a lot of years. I think this is year number, well, okay, 37 for me. And I just love what God does on this campus. Central's a pretty cool place. And I am so glad to have outlasted probably most administrators and professors here. And, uh, you know, gosh, I just feel like this is my home, this is my university, and I'm just so happy to welcome you here. Uh, yeah, a little bit about myself before I get into the Bible, just so you know who, um, you know, is talking to you. Uh, I grew up in Bellingham. Anybody know where that is? Kind of rainy, gray place, uh, you know, but beautiful when the sun shines. And uh, I think we're in the top five most fit cities in the United States of America. I mean, people are active out there. I grew up in Bellingham, and so I speak fluent Canadian. Because uh, on any given day, half of Bellingham is Canadian. And uh, in fact, I, I got my undergraduate degree at Western in history and my um, graduate degree up at the University of British Columbia uh, up in Vancouver, B.C. in Old Testament Biblical Studies at a seminary there called Regent College. And uh, I really love the Bible. And, um, you know, I'm not a Bible thumper. I'm a Bible reader. Yeah? How about you? I'm not a Bible nasty sort of guy. I'm a Bible thinker. I want to think about what it says. I just want to, want, want to be nasty with it. Do you? You don't want to force it on anybody. You want to help people explore it. See what's in there for themselves. Yeah? Yeah. Amazing book. Bestseller, actually, on the planet. (laughs) Has been for a long time. So we're going to take a look at it tonight. Um, Yeah. Last week, we started a brand new series called Rooted. We want to be uh, exploring the possibility of being rooted in Jesus Christ and in his community of people. And we find out that If that happens, if we do that, it's almost like we have a foundation or a platform or a springboard to become all that we can be. We can become the person we want. We can become a difference maker in our world. We can really make our lives count. And then we explored the story last week of that woman caught in the act of adultery in John 8, and we found out that Jesus is the kind of Savior Uh, who does not reject or belittle anybody. Rather, he's the kind of guy who loves and accepts people, but also says, hey, you should stop sinning. In fact, Jesus wants all of us here at Central, everybody, whether we're in this room or not, to become a community of his people who really let him love us. And accept us, forgive us, and transform us, and make us into the kind of people he wants us to be. He wants us to be a community who's rooted in him and in his scripture, in his Bible. So tonight we're going to ask three questions, because we like questions, right? We like to think. We're going to ask three questions about our identity. So you could be asking these three questions about your identity as an individual. Question one, um, how do you define yourself? 
I think this is a really important question because we all have a self-definition whether we think about it or not. Question number two. How does God define me? We might find there's some disconnect between the two definitions, and we want to kind of squeeze those two definitions closer and closer, okay? Wouldn't that be a cool journey this quarter? Yeah. And question number three, will you believe about yourself what God believes about you? Whoa. Tense questions. So, slide number one about our identity. How do you define yourself? Okay, this is how I define myself publicly. You probably define yourself publicly uh, as well in, in certain positive ways, yeah? Put your best foot forward like, I am a Chi Alpha campus minister at Central Washington University. I have a great wife named Carol. I've got three grown boys whom I really love. I love camping and backpacking, and I own a season pass to go downhill skiing at Mission Ridge every winter with my wife because she's right there in the chair. Yeah, it's like we're still dating. That seven-minute ride up chair, too, she can't get away. I've got her all to myself. Amazing. Love it. What a strategy. Okay, so, so how do you define yourself? That's an important question. Okay, I have a private definition of myself that isn't as flattering as my public one. Maybe you have one like that, too. There are things about myself that I wish uh, could be a little different. Um, I think back to when I was a kid. Were you ever a kid? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Apparently, I was a kid once because I have these memories. And my dad, he was a great dad in so many ways. But it got this thing about him that really hurt me for a lot of years. It's like he was really into school, thought that school would be a good thing for me to be good at. Anybody have a parent like that? And so he said, Michael, you need to get better grades. I see you got a lot of C's here, and I was good at C's. I am average. <laughs> Proud. Okay, and, Okay. so he said, Michael, why don't you get B's? And I said, because, I don't know. And so he encouraged me to get B's. And so I would work harder, you guys. I don't know what was wrong with me. I really wanted to please my dad. So I'd bring home B's, and he'd say, yeah, but great. But you know there's A's. <laughs> what? Dad, I brought home bees. You said get some bees. I got the bees. <laughs> okay, he said, yeah, but I think you can do better. And now I realize he was kind of trying to encourage me. And I also realize he is kind of a perfectionist. So there was the, the good part of him and the, uh, the, the part of him that needed to be a perfectionist. And he, he wanted, uh, anyway. So he said, get A's. So I bring home some A's and B's. He says, you can do better. One day I brought home all A's. Can you believe it, me? Yeah. And he says, Michael, it's pretty good, but I think you can do better. You can try harder. And I'm thinking, what is better? Okay, anyway, so anyway, I, I, kind of, I kind of ended up feeling somewhat inadequate. You can see why. Growing up with a perfectionist who always demanded more. Wow, that kind of hurt. I didn't feel totally accepted. 
Then my dad, oh gosh, his perfectionism. He was always fixing stuff around the house and in the yard. And boy, as a little kid, what did I want to do? Help. What did he say? You can come along, but don't touch anything because you'll mess it up. How does he know? I haven't even done anything. So I felt like maybe I wasn't so great, you know, at, at doing stuff. So negative self-talk in my head, self-identity. You know, you're not good enough at school. You probably break things. You're not good enough at fixing stuff. Oh, and there's this other stuff like, I wish I was taller. Wish I had... Um, you know, I wish I had hair. Um, these are the negative self-talk that I've had to work through to deal with, uh, you know, and work hard to get rid of, and God has helped me. You have any negative self-talk? What negative self-talk might you have going on in your head? Uh, I want to encourage you. you got a, didn't you get a note-taking piece of thing? Paper. Yeah. Um, we are a note-taking culture in Chi Alpha because we feel like just maybe God would speak to us. Maybe some of the questions each week, we could ponder. We could actually grow intellectually and spiritually and stuff while we're in college. So I want to encourage you, maybe even scribble down five of your self-definitions that maybe need, you know, it's, it's you and God have a definition of you. Like he's, he says he really loves you, and you wonder if you can even love yourself, yeah? Okay, so we're going to work on that a little bit. So... The idea is to let Jesus replace some of that negative self-talk with his encouraging truth with the biblical identity statements instead of the ones we say about ourselves. Because we have a mixed bag, right? Okay, so first question is, how do you define yourself? But the second question is this, is how does God define you? Well, we could go to the Bible and find out, yeah? There's lots of stuff in the Bible that tells us hints about how God thinks about us. Well, let's look at one of them. There's a little tiny book in the New Testament. That's the right half of the Bible. Uh, it's called Titus. It's named after somebody. So look in the table of contents. It's very short, so you'll probably have to figure out the page number. Titus chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start in verse 3. I think we're going to read down to verse 7. In the Orange Bible, when somebody finds it, call out the page number. Titus chapter 3, verses... 3 through 7. Thank you. 836. As we're reading along, just to see what Titus had to say, that God had taught him about who we are in Jesus Christ, um, ask yourself the question, who am I according to God? What does this text say about me? Verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might 
become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Now that's a powerful paragraph that I think I should just encourage you to have a look at again tonight or in the morning. Maybe you're not a night person. Have a look at it again and think about what does that say about me? What does that say about us as God's people? Yeah. How does God define us? Think about this for a minute. When we choose to believe in Jesus, when we choose to believe that God loves us from what we read in the Bible, and we trust Jesus, God's Son, uh, we trust his death on that cross for us, his resurrection from the dead for us, we tr- when we trust that that removes all of our shame, when we trust that, that removes all of our guilt, when we trust that that removes all of our separation from God, something great begins to happen. It's like this process just gets kicked into place. Like a snowball on the top of a mountain that just gets kicked and starts picking up size. And that thing that we start believing just gets bigger and bigger. Three good things are listed here, at least in Titus. Could I point them out to you? I think we've got a slide that might even say it. God washes us and cleans us. God reboots us, to use a computer analogy. And he gives us the solid hope of eternal life. Can anybody say, wow? <laughs> That's pretty good. So let's look at each of the three of these. What does it say in verse 5 that God does? It says, He saved us not because of the things we'd done, but because of himself, his mercy. He saved us through washing of rebirth. So in some sense, we are not clean enough, yeah? In a sense, before God. And what's he do? He washes us. I remember the day, age 17, When I finally prayed, I talked to the Lord. I said, okay, I believe all this stuff. (laughs) I believe that you died and were buried and rose again for me to take away my guilt, my shame. You know what? I felt 17 years of sin leave my body. I felt my shame taken away. Now, not everybody has that kind of feeling level experience, but you can know it in your knower. And sometimes your feeler takes time to catch up. Does that make sense? But for me, I was glad that it was a feeling thing. You guys washed, clean. Wow. And think about this. If God says we were guilty at one point and then now we're not, who should we trust? What we think or what he says? If we don't feel clean yet, but he still says we're clean, who should we trust? The God who created us, the God who washed us, or our feelings? My feelings can change depending on how much pizza I ate. It goes from the first few bites to to the tenth slice. Those of you on um, the audio didn't see that, did you? Okay, so... What else does God do for us? 
In verse 5, it also says the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. We use that computer analogy of he completely reboots us. He restarts the good that should have been in our lives. Uh, It's almost like he installs a new operating system. You know what I'm saying? Puts in a new operating system and all the applications. He kind of overwrites the old ones with the new stuff. So the new operating system and the application start functioning beautifully together like they were designed to work. When the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, reboot, new operating system, overwrite. Capiche? Nice. Okay. I'm glad we got that. And if you get frustrated with your computer like I do, okay, Wise computer people like my friend Tony, they remind me it's probably not the computer, it's probably the operator. I just have a few more things to learn. And I think it's like that with God. A lot of us are just mad at God that this, that, or the other thing isn't working right in our life or in the world. Because you've noticed there's a few things that aren't working right, yeah? Okay. It might be, we ourselves individually, it might be the other people on the planet that has got it kind of the operators not the computer not God do you get the analogy of what I'm saying God loves us God's good I think it's we are the ones that are a little bit off the need to get on track it says in Ezekiel 36 26 you can just write that down it's not up here that he gives us a brand new heart and he uses this analogy or a metaphor he says it's like he removes our heart of stone and gives us a living heart Do you see what he's saying? A reboot, a restart, a new heart. How many would like a new heart? Yeah, my goodness. Friends, that's why Jesus was sent to us. To show God's love for us. To give us the new start we need, not only just once. That dramatic, maybe, reboot of our lives. But every day, don't we need a new start? To get back on track again. Yeah. Okay. So, we've talked about God washes us, he reboots us, and he gives us eternal life. The solid hope, not the wish, I hope I go somewhere good. You know, our culture always talks about, you know, somebody up there looking down on us. Well, who knows if they can see us or not? Where's the empirical evidence on that? Where's the Bible text on that? I would rather have some sure words inspired by God than wishful thinking, wouldn't you? When we trust in Jesus, it says we have the hope of eternal life. Philippians 3.20, there's another one you can just jot down, it's not up here. Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven, present tense. Dan, Becky, you are citizens in heaven right now. (laughs) Right now. Voting members of heaven. I I don't know. They probably don't even vote in heaven. (laughs) We are citizens, you guys. Okay. How about another slide? Our identity is to be rooted in Christ according to God's design of you and me. But our last question is, will you choose to believe about yourself what God believes. 
that might take a little bit of reading of the book, right, to find out what he believes. So I would encourage that. Have the courage to make reading this some sort of a habit in your life, okay? So you can begin to find out. None of us are Bible experts, right? Most of us are Bible novices. We'll just start reading, okay? There's a lot in there. I, I, I suggest you start in the right half, okay? Start in the New Testament. It's a little bit easier to start with, maybe in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Will you choose to embrace your biblical identity? This is how you become rooted in Christ. He becomes the foundation we build our lives on. He's the one who makes us into difference makers. In Genesis chapter 1, it says we're made in his image. To spread his image throughout the earth. That sounds like a high and noble calling. That sounds like a purpose in life. To spread God's character everywhere. This is who we are. We are made in the very image of God. We are glorious. God don't make no junk. We need to start thinking, wow, God made me glorious in his image to display him. Instead of, I'm too short. I'm too stupid. I can't do anything right. You know, we need to get rid of some of that negative self-talk and move it to what the Bible says about us. Because God knows. That's who we are. Knowing this, believing this makes all the difference. It changes not only the way we think about ourselves, but how we act. We now start acting like the one God made us to be, just like him. We become full of mercy, full of kindness, full of his love. Yeah. Like God has brought us freedom, we start bringing freedom to others. God helps us become the person we're supposed to be. We leave our old story of shame and guilt behind Enter Jesus' story that he's writing. He says, I'll make you a chapter in my book. So Jesus replaces our unhealthy self-talk with his truth talk, our thoughts with Bible thoughts. God invites us to embrace his way of defining ourselves. Well, now we're at the end of the talk tonight. What do you think? Is that maybe something you would say, I want to go down that journey. I want to start bringing my self-definition and the Bible one that God asked for me together. I want to start realizing who God has made me to be. Here's a cool verse. Ephesians 2.10 says, you are God's masterpiece. You're his work of art. Wouldn't that be an interesting way to think of yourself? Get up in the morning. Where's the coffee? I'm a work of art. Okay, in conclusion, how do we apply this message? Here's a slide, I think. Um, Maybe we need to replace our self-talk with stuff like this. I'm a masterpiece created by God to do good works for him. Or I'm made in God's image to spread the good character everywhere I go. God's good character everywhere I go. Or um, I am right now a citizen of heaven with Dan and Becky. I am freed from the malware of sin. Oh, there's computer again. Um, I have a new heart. I think this stuff's worth praying about silently for a few minutes. Can we just bow, bow our heads? Just, would you just talk to God silently about all this while the worship team comes?
Dear God, we just want to ask that you would help each one of us um, to be brave enough to look into your book, uh, to be brave enough to consider maybe uh, we should start loving ourselves like you love us, that maybe there's more for our lives than we thought, maybe our purpose is bigger than we thought of just going and getting an education and a job. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to move a step closer to answering the question of who am I? Help us to move our identity a bit closer to what you say. Help us to become the people you want us to be this quarter. Help us to get really rooted in you, Jesus, and in your people, and to have a firm foundation for exploring our identity and our purpose in life. Amen.